0: zero in turnover margin is going to kill you every time and we had a lot of chances in that first half so you know we're just uh not good enough
1: that's for sure dirt cutter after another bucks disaster loss boy just does not get better for this football team welcome to peterpirates.com and welcome to our podcast a few extra bucks i am merely mike neighbors before i bring in my partner roy cummings and our esteemed producer justin thomas I'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews, and of course, Sea Dog Brewing Company. House of Brews in Lutz, Florida, a great place on the corner of Northdale Mabry and Van Dyke. Sea Dog Brewing Company, two great locations, one in Clearwater and Treasure Island on the beach. Great brews, great food, great service. Well, I don't know about you, Roy, but I'm done with this team. I, I was going to give them a chance against the Washington Redskins. Maybe they can turn it around. The NFC South had a tough week with Carolina going in. You didn't know what the Saints and the Bucks were going to do. But I just think they're done at this point. How do you feel?
2: It's, uh, it's pretty hard to see them coming back um, and making much of a season out of it at this point. Look, you know, okay, I'll take the other side. It's easy to take the other side. No, it's not easy to take the other side, but I'll do it anyway. Here's what <laughs> They finally played defense today the way they're cap- we think they're capable of. 16 points allowed. Not a great offensive team that they're, you know, team in the middle, the Redskins. Still didn't take the ball away, but they only allowed 16 points. Um, That's getting the job done on defense, okay? Uh, so, So let's give them that. We'll start with that. Then you go to the offensive side of the ball. 501 yards. That's even better than what we expect out of the Buccaneers. The problem, three points. This game came down to a horrible lack of execution in the red zone. It had nothing to do with play calling. It had nothing to do with defense. It had everything. It had nothing really to do with offense until they got into the red zone where they had an interception, a fumble, two missed kicks, and by my count, which is up on com, an unofficial red zone visit that also result, resulted in a fumble. So, in essence, one for six inside the red zone today. You don't expect that. This team was 63% scoring inside the red zone this year. 10th uh, overall in the NFL coming in. Not a bad number. Uh, a big improvement over last year when they were 49.6 in the red zone. Today, one for six overall. And my, by my count, officially one for five. But again, I've got one in there where Jaquiz Rogers ran the ball inside the 20 and then got it popped out so hard that it uh, ended up in a touchback. So. Uh, A lot of strange things happen uh, in the red zone today, and that's what caused this team.
1: Well, you've covered this team for a long time, and you've seen this fan base just go through a a really rough patch for a long time. I thought this game was the ultimate candy and a baby. Like, oh, they're going to turn the corner? Oh, no, they're not. Oh, they're going to turn the corner? Oh, they're not. And that just has to be torturous, not only on a football team, but on a fan base that's been through so much.
2: How many times have we been on this podcast or just talked in general about, Winnable games against beatable teams. This was one of those. The Redskins are not exceptional in any way. They're adequate at best, offensively, defensively, special teams. They're just an average football team. The Buccaneers, you can argue, is, are below average. But you know what? Below average teams, when you face an average team, that's a game, especially at home, you should win. And this was a winnable game against a beatable opponent, and they failed to take advantage. And again, it's, it's confounding. Somebody asked me today at the press box at Raymond James Stadium, inside the press box, Roy, is this the worst team you've seen, the worst Buccaneers team you've seen? I said, no, it's not. Because I've seen less talented teams play worse, and I've seen less talented teams play better. I said, this is the most confounding team I've seen with the Buccaneers. Because this is a team that, as I said, can go can have 60% on third down, 6 for 10 on third down offensively, 5 for 13 or in other words 8 for 13 defensively hold the other team to 38% third down conversions score you know produce 501 yards limit the other team to less than 300 yards 286 total and lose 16 to 3 that shouldn't happen that should not happen 5 official trips into the red zone 3 points that should not happen with a team that is ranked number 1 in the NFL in points and number two in the NFL in yards. That should not happen.
1: Roy, you say confounding. You've covered this team for a long time, and that's why we love having you because you have great perspective. Raheem Morris didn't have this kind of talent in his teams. He didn't. No. That's why I
2: said it's not the worst team I've seen. This team's got talent. This team has talent. The offense alone has talent. I think you and I could play quarterback and, and rack up 300 yards of offense with this team. I won't, go, I won't go so far as to say we're going to get 400 or 500, but all you have to do with this offense is put the ball in the hands of the, of the playmakers. And you know what? Today they actually had a running game working for them. Early on they were nice and balanced. They were moving the ball really well, efficiently, through you know, between the 20s. And all of a sudden they get inside the 20s and something happens. And it was just unconscionable. First, first interception by Ryan Fitzpatrick, underthrown right in front of his uh, right in front of the, the goal line. Uh, then two missed kicks. Then a fumble by Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, another fumble uh, later on. It, it was just, it was just, it was just, it was embarrassing. It was a, truly embarrassing for this organization to have these things happen to him today.
1: Justin Thomas our producer I know you've been busy pulling down Soundboy Dirk Cutter that was a rough press conference wasn't it Yeah he he was he just seemed so demoralized and uh you know I normally he he has longer answers and he was very short on everything it just seemed like you know he doesn't know what to do All right let's cut to the chase let's go to uh, Dirk Cutter on job security I mean his football team right now <laughs> three losses in a row uh, 1 and 4 in their last 5 games now 3 and 6 on the season. This was a team that started 2 and 0 and now they're 3 and 6. Dirk Cutter was asked about his job security.
0: Uh, I think that's a contradiction in question. I mean, it's, it starts with me and it ends with me, so that's that's somebody else's decision.
1: Roy Dirk Cutter obviously didn't like those questions. Nobody would, but I thought the <laughs> the unbelievable discovery we had in that press conference and you were there was that uh, he call? He's calling plays again. Todd Munkin's no longer calling plays, and apparently that started in this game. You know, what do you make of all this?
2: Yeah, I don't know why he uh, went suddenly back. When he suddenly went back to um, calling plays, I don't know why he didn't explain why. My gut feeling is this: on that, um, my gut feeling is second half of the season. We're doing great here offensively. Uh, probably neither one of us can screw this up. If I'm going down, yeah. I'm going down my yep. way. Yep, I agree. Uh, it's I'm going to call the plays. Yep, This is what I do best. If I'm going down, it's going to be on me. And if I screw up calling plays, then I've earned my my firing. Um, but if I'm going to go down, we're going to go down doing it my way with me doing what I believe I do best. And, again, this is a point where – I will interject yet again that let's not forget that all the people who think Dirk Cutter is in, is a flaming idiot and incompetent and has no idea what he's doing offensively, let's not re- let's not forget this is the point where I remind everybody that Dirk Cutter has orchestrated 3 top 10 offenses in the NFL in, in his time as an NFL offensive coordinator or head coach, okay? Let's not forget that Dirk Cutter is the offensive coordinator and the orchestrator therefore of the most uh, potent offense in Buccaneers history. And this one will probably outdo it, maybe by a wide margin. Um, The problems that have beset this team, I think, are beyond the scope of a a coach. I honestly do. This team loses because of poor execution day in and day out, week in and week out by the players on the field. Um, As I left the stadium today, someone was trying to argue with me the Dirk Cutter is responsible for an interception, two fumbles, and two missed kicks in the red zone. I, I walked away and said, okay, have it your way. If that's how you want to think, I can't change your mind. Because if that's how you think, you can't change their mind. It's just like, m- did we learn anything from the Mike Smith firing? Now, I understand that the defense played re- very well today. That's great. It's the first time all year they've held a team to less than 21 points. Okay? And it was the Redskins. So I'm not convinced that the defense has suddenly turned things around. They didn't take the ball away today. I think they had one sack. Um, I'd have to look at the number to, to get that right. But, uh, you know, it's not like the defense suddenly came out and, and played lights out football. It, it just it, it was you know fairly efficient today, which is a change for them. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, how, how much greater were they? Not really. But they gave their, def- their offense a chance to win. The offense just didn't take advantage of the opportunities it had. And it had plenty of them.
1: Okay, this is Dirk Cutter's message to his football team moving forward now.
0: When you get beat like that i didn't I didn't have a great message for the team after the game that uh, i didn't I didn't have a great message. I mean we we got beat, and you know we have to we have to live with the consequences that's that's just life in the NFL and you know we have to live with it.
1: You know, Roy, you talk about going down swinging, all right? I don't know how you felt about this since we the three of us last spoke and these podcasts. Uh, we had a press conference where Roy Cummings, I mean Roy Cummings, where Dirk Cutter's throwing out a uh, bit of honeys uh, to his uh, media friends. And, and to me, you know what I thought of first? I thought maybe he goes home and his wife maybe sees the press conferences like, honey, you know, you look like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're going to get fired. Why don't you just enjoy it? Why don't you just do, be yourself down the stretch? Maybe that's not the case. Maybe, maybe it translates to how he handles press conferences to play calling, but you know what, Roy, you mentioned it. A lot of the stuff that happened, you know, missed field goals, bad decisions in the red zone. I mean, we could go on and on and on. It feels like the guy's snake bit in a lot of ways. I got to say
2: it. It really does. Look, I'm not, I'm not defending Dirk cutter. I guess I am a lawyer, though.
1: I mean it's everything that could have gone bad. Everything they've done it seems to have backfired in a lot of ways and it seems out of his control. The defensive line is not what they thought it would be. You know, to me the offensive line's revamped. It's not good. The running game, I mean all these weapons Jameis blows up. I mean Fitzpatrick starts great but now he's back to Fitzpatrick. I mean there's there's
2: no silver lining here, Roy. There's No, none. you're right. And 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 this is exactly what I'm I'm pointing to is you're right. I think, you know, I hate to use the word snake bit, but it's, but it's accurate. I mean, they can't seem to get anything right. Again, today, they finally got a representative effort out of the defense. The defense held their opponent, I don't care who it was, to 16 points. That's winning football from a defensive standpoint. The old adage, I, I, heard, De- I heard Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp say it a thousand times. Give us 17 points and we'll take care of the rest. When did you ever think the Buccaneers, this Buccaneers team, could not score 17 points? Today they couldn't, and why couldn't they? Not because they couldn't move the ball. Not because they couldn't move the ball into the red zone. Because they couldn't execute inside the red zone. Do you realize, uh, people listening, Mike, Justin, one of the, the, the last turnover inside the red zone, the fumble by Ryan Fitzpatrick, came one play after Mike Evans dropped a ball in the end zone that would have given him a touchdown. At that point, it's sixteen to three. If they get that, and let's just say the for you know stranger things happen, that Chandler Catanzaro makes the extra point. There's three and a half minutes left on the clock, and all of a sudden, instead of sixteen to three, it's now sixteen to ten. All you need is to go is go down, play the defense you've been playing all over again, and then do what you always do at the end, and and have another rally and get another touchdown at the end. You got weapons all over the place, and all of a sudden they win the game. So. It's, that's how close they were to winning this game. The, hand, the ball was in Mike Evans' hands. Nobody was near him. He dropped the ball in the end zone. He's shaking his head. And the next play, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets sacked, stripped of the ball, fumble, turnover, game over. And, and I'm sorry, Dirk Cutter did not call for, A, a play for Mike Evans to drop it, and B, for Ryan Fitzpatrick to take a strip sack and give up the ball. He didn't make that call, but ends up, he's going to be the one losing his job over this. And by the way, Everybody, I don't remember anybody saying that the Bucs did a horrible job in free agency. A lot of people thought the Bucs won the offseason, picking yep. up Vea, picking up JPP, picking up all these guys on defense, drafting three young cornerbacks. Oh, what a great move that was. Well, guess what, folks? At the end of the day, the players just aren't executing. It was the same way on defense early in the season, and it's why they lost today, because they didn't execute on offense in the red zone.
1: I love when you're fired up, my friend. It makes for a better. Yes. It's good stuff. How about, let me fire you up some more, my friend. Let me give you two words.
2: Chandler Catanzaro. My goodness. It's just a gift that keeps on giving, huh? I, I can't take responsibility, or I can't take credit for this, uh, because I didn't come up with this name. Chandler Zaro. Uh, I, I don't know who came up with that, but I did see it in print a while back. Chandler Zaro, not Catanzaro, but... Uh, he can't seem to make a field goal uh, or, or an extra point when this team really needs one. And, you know, that plays into the way plays are called, too. Don't forget that. Um, I think a lot of that something sometimes gets missed by fans and followers of teams. When you have a kicker who you can't rely on, who you, don't, you can't depend on, who you don't know what you're going to get from whether he's missing, by the way, today, a 30-yard field goal, a 33-yard field goal, makes the 40 AR, you know, you don't know what you're going to get out of the guy. When that's the case, it affects the way you call plays. It affects what you do when you get inside the red zone. Um, when the game is a six, three game, sometimes you might call it differently thinking, you know what? I, I, I can't count on my kicker to make a, 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 a kick here. So I've got to, you know, I've got to run three plays here that give us our best shot at absolutely scoring a touchdown. We can't even just think about settling for a field goal. We can't get real aggressive or, whatever it might be, you know, uh, it affects the way you call plays. And again, I just can't come back. I just, I keep coming back to the point, 501 yards of offense and three points, by the way, the first time in NFL history, we saw history made today that a team has scored, has produced 501 yards of total offense and had three points. First time in NFL history that's happened. That that says goes back to what you were saying. Dirk Cutter is just playing snake bit.
1: He really is in a lot of ways. And and I I, I am defending Dirk Cutter because a lot of the stuff isn't his fault. Now, you know, he's not the perfect coach. He hasn't made all the perfect moves, but boy, he deserves better in a lot of ways than what he's received in the last month. I'm gonna be one of the few of his uh defenders, I guess. Well let's talk uh that missed field goal while we have uh, I'm looking at the sound that we have. Here's Dirk Cutter on uh you know how demoralizing that first field goal miss by Chandler Zaro was.
0: It's hard to say that. I mean, it. You know, it's. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, that's. You know, definitely we we'd like to make them, but uh, it's hard. It's hard to put a number on that.
1: Boy, boy, he's really biting his lips in these press conferences, especially this one today. I mean, I would love to to get unfiltered dirt cutter after this, boy. I, so many areas that are just imploding for the Bucks right now, and one of them is quarterback. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 29-41 of 41 for 403 yards, but two gigantic interceptions. Here was Dirk Cutter on Ryan Fitzpatrick.
0: Well, we just weren't good enough as a team, and that, that starts with me and permeates down through everybody else on the offense. I mean, to, to move the ball like that and come up with three points, we, you know, that's just, that's, you're just not going to win that way.
1: And here's Ryan Fitzpatrick on Ryan Fitzpatrick. For me as a quarterback,
2: I think just like everybody else, you look at it as what could I have done better, and there's a lot of decisions, you know, that I think I could have I could have made better decisions. There's a lot of things that, uh, you know, I didn't execute. And so um, settling for field goals or turning the ball over in the red zone, uh, that, that stuff is not good. You're not going to win games, and we weren't good enough to overcome it today. Uh, you know, and the majority of that, There were were plenty of issues, but the majority of it falls on me.
1: You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, we have seen this season why he's a journeyman quarterback, Roy. And I think the one exception that we've bandied about in this podcast is Ryan Fitzpatrick's never had the weapons that he has this season. But the more we see from Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't think that matters at this point.
2: No, I, I, I again, I, I don't know what's happened to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Maybe he's just become Ryan Fitzpatrick again. I mean, the magic that was there for those first two and a half games has obviously disappeared. Um, he has uh, regressed into being the player that a couple of teams have decided to give up on that you question if he's got the ability to to lead you. Because, again, I mean, three turnovers today for him, uh, two inside the red zone on himself, you know, 29-41. Four hundred six yards, two sacks, two interceptions, one inside the red zone, a fumble inside the red zone. Boy, oh boy, that sure sounds an awful lot like the, you know the kind of stat lines we get out of Jameis Winston. Um, you know, so like, kind of like, like I said last week, I don't think it matters who the quarterback is right now. Um, it, right now, it's it's beyond the it's beyond. In my opinion, it's beyond the coach. It's beyond the quarterback in a lot of cases. It's really – it's up to a lot of other people on this team who just aren't getting the job done. And, look, quarterback's one of them, obviously, and people want to blame the coach for not having the team prepared. You know, I saw that cliche thrown out there by somebody on Twitter. Um, You know, it's just just mind-boggling. It really is. And I don't know if Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting to feel a lot of what Jameis Winston felt, which is that if I don't get it done, nobody will – um, but I think there is some of that here with this team and with this quarterback situation. Me, um, I would go back to Jameis Winston now. Um, I think you brought Fitzpatrick in to allow Jameis an opportunity to watch a little bit from the sidelines, hopefully get his mechanics corrected. Um, you know, I don't know if that's happened to practice. Only the coaches can tell us that. Um, but at this point, I think you need a spark and I think Jameis Winston could possibly, possibly give this team a spark right now. Ryan Fitzpatrick is not doing this team any favors. Um, Much like Jameis Winston, he's moving the team down the field. And when they get to where they got to be and they really need a big play, it just isn't there. So uh, that's a tough spot for Dirk Cutter to be in. But um, if I were him, I would would go back to Jameis and see if that can get you going.
1: Let me ask you this, Roy. If Jameis Winston gets hurt, I agree I would put him back in there. But – I'm not the one who's going to have to pay him $20 million if he gets hurt. Would the Glazers tell Jason Light, listen, we don't want this guy in there the rest of the year?
2: I don't think they – well, they could, uh, but I don't think they would. Um, The Glazers have – from what I've heard, they're not afraid of the $20 million uh, price tag on Jameis for next year. Uh, I I think they still believe in Jameis a little bit, to be honest with you, Uh, maybe more than they believe in Dirk Cutter or some of the other players on the team. Um, I think they feel like they've invested in a quarterback. They've got one who's, who just needs some time. You know, I saw some, some interesting stuff today, um, and I know I'm getting away from your question, but, but the bottom line is I don't think the Buccaneers are concerned about the price tag for James Winston. I, I don't think they, they believe that way because uh, one thing the Bucs could do next year is draft a quarterback, say, in the second or third round. Uh, you could keep Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, again, you're not devoting a lot of money to the quarterback position. Uh, Jameis Wentz will be 20 million Fitzpatrick. If he's making four or five, uh, add it all up, even with Ryan Griffin or with the young quarterback that you draft, like I said, second or third round, uh, you're still not paying as much as some teams are to quarterbacks, uh, in this league. It's a position that averages about, you know, 20, what, 23, $24 million, uh, for one guy. So, um, you know, it's, it, I wouldn't be too concerned about paying the average there. Uh, So, so I don't think they are, but, you know, I saw some things today. Uh, Jameis Winston has fewer career interceptions at this point in his career than about eight quarterbacks who are guys like Fran Tarkenton and Peyton Manning and, uh, you know, Brett Favre, guys who were going to the hall of fame or in the hall of fame, you know, and, it's just, I just think it's way too soon to give up on on Jameis Winston. He he got into a slump this year after missing three games. I, I think it's time to see what else he's got and just tell him, you know what, just go out and play. Just just go out and play. Good stuff
1: out of you, Roy Cummings. Uh, well, listen, uh, before we head out of here, Justin, you know what time it is. Here we go. Of the music. Three and out, baby. Three questions and we are out of here. And we have not discussed any of the material that I'm throwing out to Justin Thomas and Roy Cummings. Uh, Roy, first question in our three and out. A little uh, Twitter flap between Warren Sapp this week and uh, the so-called captains, Quan Alexander and Levante David. Uh, Sapp just basically threw out that uh, there was a missed assignment. Uh, if I'm paraphrasing this correctly, I don't know how familiar you are with this. And, and not, not this past game with the Washington Redskins, but the prior game. And Quan and Levante David kind of fired back, basically, mind your own business, big boy. Uh, who do you side with in this?
2: You know, um, I, I, saw, I see both sides. Uh, I think Warren is taking it from a standpoint of the defense that he played in and basic fundamental defense, which is that you have certain landmarks and keys and places you're supposed to be on the field. And one thing you don't do is you don't let certain guys out of, the, out of areas like that. You've got certain you know, boundaries covered. Um, those, those are the basics. But I find it interesting that two guys on that defense, both, uh, both, of them, both of them say, hey, Warren, you don't know what you're talking about here. That's not how we do it. Well, the problem I have with that is I, I think Warren's right, and I think Quan Alexander and Levante David are right. The problem is I think the scheme's wrong. I think Warren's right from the standpoint of this is, this is basic football. You know, There are certain you know, corners, landmarks. Uh, spots where you you set the edge, so to speak, and nobody gets outside of me. You know, um, you always want you know inside leverage on a guy, that kind of thing. Uh, that shouldn't change no matter what the scheme is. I think the problem is if the scheme has Levante David and Quan Alexander doing something that basically goes against the fundamental principles of football, defensive football. That's the problem. And we may have you know found the tip of the iceberg to what is going on. Um, you know, w- with this defense, because to me, uh, if these basic elements of defensive uh, coverage are not being followed, well, maybe now we know why the defense really isn't working because we see an awful lot of r- guys running free all over the, the map uh, every Sunday afternoon. And if, if Levante David and Quan Alexander are correct in, in explaining that, Hey, that's not how we do it. Well, then there's a problem with how they do it.
1: You know, I have never defended Warren Sapp on much. I think he's probably the worst guy I've ever covered. I don't like the way he res- disrespects the media. I don't like the way he treats fans. Warren could care less what I think. But I'm going to back Warren Sapp on this on a, for a number of reasons. First of all, he's a Hall of Famer. You say what you want about the guy, but he knows football. And I saw how he described the play, and I actually learned something when I saw it. And the other side of the coin, you know, we've debated this in past podcasts about Gerald McCoy, the kind of leader he is, should he be captain, blah, blah, blah. Quan Alexander, Levante, David, you know, you're not acting like leaders. You know, just ignore Warren Sapp. You know, if you have something, a problem with Warren Sapp, why don't you call Warren Sapp and talk to him about it? You look like idiots debating it over Twitter. I've never understood in my life why athletes or people in the media who have all these followers – Um, this is kind of a different argument, but why they take it public with some of these idiots on Twitter who have like five followers and are sitting in their boxers in front of their laptop at home. Who gives a damn what they think? You should give a damn what Warren Sapp thinks. I think you should. And if you have a problem with him, don't do it on Twitter because you know what? You're supposed to be the leaders on the football team and you're not acting like it. So that's my, that's who's side I take.
2: That's an excellent point. I agree 100%. You know, my answer was from a different perspective as to, know who's right or who's wrong but i agree with you there uh the, the, the two guys Quan and levante took that they, they they handled that one wrong um i think again i think that's a frustration coming out and you know what it might have just been their way of saying hey don't blame us man we got this goofy scheme that we're asked to play maybe that's the problem i don't know but uh, again if they're right something something else is wrong
1: exactly all right, here's a, here's a question I want to throw at you. Uh, Julio Jones passed Megatron, the fastest wide receiver ever to 10,000 yards. And I'll bring Justin in for this, too. Who would you rather have on your football team, Julio Jones or Megatron? How
2: about that? Wow. Uh, you know what? I, I'll, I'll take Julio Jones. Um, I, I think he's done maybe more with less. I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Um, I'll, I'll take Julio Jones. I like Julio Jones.
1: Justin, what do you got? I'm going with Megatron. I just thought he was sure. the perfect build for a wide receiver. Uh, he was amazing. He seems to, to have gotten more touchdowns than Julio has been getting the last couple of years. Uh, I'll go with Megatron. Big fan of him. You know what's funny about that, guys? How good both of those receivers have been they're you know, obviously generational guys, the tops of when they played but they're not even close to sniffing Jerry Rice's record. Oh, and that just shows how how good Jerry Rice was. Um, I like Julio Jones. He doesn't score enough touchdowns for me, but the thing I like about him is he could do everything as a wide receiver, and that's hard to find. Uh, he could do it all, and he, he always finds a way to get open. And I, I think – I don't know. You know, Megatron retired early, kind of – I guess if you're in Detroit, that's kind of the way it goes with Barry Sanders and a lot of those guys <laughs> – but I, I just think like Julio Jones, um, I, to me, is more complete. But I'll tell you one thing, and I should have included this guy. I think Michael Thomas, when it's all said and done, it's going to be interesting to see what the numbers he's putting up in New Orleans. I mean, he put up more, num- the, more numbers than anybody after their first two years in the league. And he doesn't have any other options, kind of like Julio Jones in Atlanta, doesn't have a lot of other options, and he keeps putting them up in New Orleans. So Michael Thomas is a guy maybe I should have thrown in there. And it makes me feel old because he's Keyshawn Johnson's nephew, and he's lighting it up right now for the Saints. All right, my last one. You guys know how we like to go a little uh, different here. We're going to stick with football, but I'm going to ask you, who's your favorite announcer for play-by-play um, if, uh, among these three guys? You got Pat Summerall, Kurt Gowdy, or Al Michaels?
2: You know, I, I, I sure like Pat Summerall a lot. Kurt Gowdy was good, except I always – I swear to God, I always thought he was going to strangle that microphone. <laughs> Nobody ever held the microphone tighter. You could see his hands going white from holding <laughs> it so tight. Um, so uh, that was my – but you know what? Al, I mean, Al Michaels is – That rhymed, high. by the way. What's that? That, that rhymed, yeah. by the way. Al Michaels has got the call. Do you believe in yeah. miracles? And. Yep. Was there a better moment? I mean, might have been the greatest moment in sports history, you know, American sports history. Do you believe in miracles? Yeah. The the U.S. hockey team, in the 1980 Olympics. What a moment! And he nailed it. He nailed. Now I, he had I it was taped. You know, he, he knew it was coming, but I, he nailed it. He nailed it. Yeah. You know what's funny about
1: that is he hadn't called that much hockey before he did that either.
2: No, no, and and but he, you know, he knew enough about the game. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's a that's a great uh, question. And it's a tough call. Um, but I'll, I'll take Al Michaels. I, and, and the reason I'll, you know what? Here's the reason I'll go with Al Michaels. Pat Summerall didn't do really anything other than football. Kurt Gowdy did a lot of stuff, but that microphone, that poor microphone. And then Al Michaels, he's, he's done a little bit of everything. Yeah. More well rounded. More well rounded.
1: I'm with you. What do you got, Justin? I agree with Roy. Big fan of Al Michaels. I enjoy listening to him. Um, I like him the best of the three. Kumbaya group hug guys. I love, love, <laughs> love Al Michaels. Right. You know, when you hear Al Michaels, it goes back to, I don't know if it's, I believe in miracles or, you know, I was a huge baseball fan growing up Monday night baseball. I used to love Monday night baseball. Cause you didn't have a lot of games and that voice always resonates with me. It's a big deal. When I hear Al Michaels, something big is going on. And, I love the fact, I mean, what a great career. He called the Big Red Machine before he even made it to the network. And then when he makes it to the network, he has all these marquee calls. I mean, he did the Earthquake series with the Oakland A's and, and the Giants and all that stuff. So I love Al Michaels. I don't really I don't really know too many people who don't like Al Michaels. And why I'm not real familiar with Kurt Gowdy. I wanted to kind of touch all the generations there. But Pat Summerall was okay to me. He just – there's nothing – I don't know. It was more – I don't know. He's 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 great, but he like Al Michaels to me takes everything to a different level. All right. Well, this is our uh, Bucks post game podcast here on Peterpyrus.com. A few extra bucks, more than a few extra takes on the Buccaneers. Boy, tough sledding moving forward. But we're gonna keep giving you podcasts and video updates here on Peterpyrus.com. for our Bucks insider Roy Cummings, for our steam producer Justin Thomas, for our sponsors House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company. I am merely Mike Neighbors. Remember, subscribe to PeterPires.com. It is absolutely free. And come on, does it get any better than that? We'll see you down the road.